Well, that didn't last long. The Seahawks no longer among the NFL's undefeated following a disappointing performance on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to be breaking down key takeaways, handing out game balls, and playing a bit of three up, three down after Sunday's defeat here on our post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. My apologies to all of our listeners for not being able to have our postcast up after the game per usual. My internet connection, ironically, in the Silicon Valley of all places, was as effective as the Seahawks offense was yesterday. Could not get the podcast uploaded, had some issues with recording in general, so decided to postpone the episode until Monday once I was back in the friendly confines of my recording studio. As I mentioned, the offense is going to be the big talking point. Seahawks unable to take advantage of a prime opportunity in their NFC West opener, really outclassed by the 49ers from the opening kickoff, struggled throughout the game in all three phases, fall 27-7. to I'm going to be sharing some key takeaways from that game, handing out some game balls. There were a few players that starred in this game for the Seahawks. And, of course, our weekly three-up, three-down segment looking at studs and duds from a losing Week 2 effort for the Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks had an opportunity in front of them at 1-0, the only team with a winning record after week one in the NFC West. They were sole possession. They had a chance to improve to 2-0 and stay among the NFL's undefeated early in the 2022 season. But it became clear on the opening drive for the 49ers that that was not going to be the case on this game. A much different tone than Monday night when the Seahawks exited Lumen Field in euphoria after beating Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos in prime time. Got spanked, got body slammed, got embarrassed, any of those terms. That was the Seahawks on Sunday at Levi Stadium. Nothing worked out. It was just one of those days. And in particular, the offense continued the struggles after not scoring any points in the second half against the Broncos. They were shut out. They were blanked for all four quarters in this contest. Geno Smith had an 80% completion rate. So the quarterback was doing a good job getting the ball to his receivers, but not a lot of big plays downfield. Two for seven on third down, unable to sustain drives. Got intercepted when he tried to squeeze in a post pattern to Tyler Lockett. Had another play that should have been an interception that was called back for a defensive pass interference penalty on the 49ers. So he was not near as smooth in terms of making his reads, his touch, and his accuracy as he was in the opener. And in his defense, he really had no help. The offensive line held up okay early in the game. And as the game progressed, Nick Bosa and company started to wreak havoc. And the running game was non-existent from the get-go. 35 rushing yards, 
in the entire game. Rashad Penny had 15. Ken Walker III only got a handful of carries in his first game. They just couldn't get anything going on the offensive side of the football. And you look at the funk that the Seahawks are in two games into the season on offense. The past six quarters, when you add in yesterday's loss and the two quarters to close out Monday night victory over the Denver Broncos, they have 267 total yards in those six quarters. 211 passing yards, that's 5.3 yards per attempt. That's dismal. The rushing yardage is even worse. 56 rushing yards in the past six quarters. 2.7 per carry. We've seen plenty of quarters when Pete Carroll's been the coach where Seattle has had more than 60 rushing yards in a quarter. They have 56 total in the last six quarters. They're 5 for 13 on third down, 38%. That's not the worst I've ever seen, but certainly not good. Three turnovers and the most notable thing. They have not scored a single point in those six quarters. No Jason Myers field goals, no touchdowns. And really, they only had one prime opportunity to score points in this game. And this really tells you where this offense is at. Shane Waldron decides to dust off the cobwebs off of a 1920 offensive personnel system, putting all four of Seattle's running backs on the field at the same time. And mind you, this was the only time really the entire game that the Seahawks seemed to have some rhythm on offense. Geno Smith had just thrown a 27-yard completion after rolling out to his right to Tyler Lockett that moved Seattle down to the 49ers' 13-yard line. They hadn't even gotten past midfield to that point on their previous drives. And so this was easily the most successful drive they'd had. They were in the red zone for the first time, had some momentum starting to go towards them, and they were only down 13 nothing at that point. If you punch it in and put a touchdown on the board, it's suddenly a one-score game. And as bad as things started, getting ran all over by the 49ers and not being able to do anything on offense, having turnover issues, they would have been right back in the game before halftime, and they would have gotten the ball First, to start the third quarter, it would have totally changed the vibe of this football game. And yet Seattle went with this 40 personnel. I really felt like I was watching a black and white NFL film special from like 1930s football. I was waiting for all the running backs to start running in a circle because that used to be legal to have all of them go in motion. Obviously can't do that now, but that is how off the map this was. Had not seen a formation like that in a long, long time. Certainly not in a modern NFL game. And a gimmick like that can certainly work. They got five yards on a run by Ken Walker III, who was playing the Wildcat quarterback role in a full house set with the other three running backs around him. He was able to wiggle his way free on a play that looked like it was going to be a tackle for loss, and he turned it into a five-yard game. That was a pretty special run. That is when the gimmick should have ended there. Shane Waldron should have been like, Hey, we got five yards. We're down to the eight-yard line. We're getting close to scoring points here. Let's put the ball back in the actual quarterback's hands. But no, they kept the 40 personnel in there, and DJ Dallas takes the handoff from Ken Walker the third, playing that Wildcat quarterback, rolls out, and then shot puts the football. I'm not going to say throws the football because it didn't look like a pass. It looked like he shot put it in, had no spiral on it, and it just landed right in the hands of Traverius Ward for one of the easiest interceptions you're going to ever get in the red zone. It would have been killer on any part of the field. But to have that play called and executed that way inside the opponent's 10-yard line when you're down 13 nothing, that was a killer turnover that the Seahawks simply did not recover from. They 
again, they had momentum there. The ball was being moved. They had their biggest pass play the entire day. It felt like they finally were getting into a rhythm, and then the coaching staff decides, let's put in this gimmicky trick play, and let's do it not once but twice. Put their hands in the gimmick jar one too many times. The 49ers made them pay for it. Pete Carroll said after the game he wishes he would have called timeout. He certainly should have, but – that really was the play that defined how this game went for the Seahawks. It really felt like you were watching a dysfunctional three-ring circus with the way that offense, defense, and special teams were playing for most of the game. On offense, they couldn't sustain drives, and the one drive that they did sustain ends on a play like that with one of your backup running backs throwing an interception on a play that never should have been ran in an NFL game. On defense, you can't tackle consistently. Run fits are still off uh, going back to that first game against the Broncos. Huge running lanes for the 49ers to take advantage of. Add in all those missed tackles. They just had major issues getting off the field on defense and got ran over, particularly in the first half. And there was even a muffed punt on special teams that ended up leading to a quick touchdown for the 49ers and making it 20 to nothing. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Seahawks. And we'll have more time to look at this on our other Monday episode when Rob Rang and I take a look at our Monday musings and dive into more in-depth takeaways. But certainly, it was an ugly performance in all facets by the Seahawks. Very few positives to glean from it. But as always on Locked on Seahawks, we try to take a look at the positive side of things. So I'm still going to hand out game balls. There were some players that certainly played well in this game, despite the fact that the Seahawks got physically manhandled on both sides of the ball by the 49ers on the road. Going to hand out those game balls coming up here in a moment. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Aaron Rodgers to throw four touchdowns, Derrick Henry to post 125 rushing yards, and Devontae Adams to reel in 10 receptions in week three. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, college football, men's college basketball, or even disc golf. They've got you covered. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's safe with fast withdrawals and is currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the post-game special here on Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Really difficult loss in week two for the Seahawks. There's no other way to describe it. Struggled on all phases. Turnovers left and right. Struggles with penalties, missed tackles, botched opportunities, trick plays gone awry. You name it, everything that goes into the recipe for a disaster in the NFL, the Seahawks put it on display in Levi Stadium. And certainly a game that felt like it was worse than 27-7, to the final score indicated. Felt like they were down 40 in the first half 
even though it was only a 20 to nothing halftime deficit. Not a lot of positives to glean for the Seahawks. With that being said, there were several players that had big games for the Seahawks. So let's get to our game balls. Starting on the offensive side of the football, he's been one of the constant for the Seahawks for the last seven years. Tyler Lockett had a pretty quiet season opener against the Broncos. He bounced back. The only player really on offense that I felt had a great game, even in defeat. Nine receptions, 107 yards. He had the biggest catch in the day. I mentioned that 27-yard catch in the middle of the field on a crosser after Geno Smith escaped the pocket, rolled out, and found him downfield in the red zone. He was the reliable security blanket for Geno Smith. Unfortunately, those efforts did not lead to any points. Again, they took the ball out of Geno Smith's hand and didn't run a conventional play. They brought in that four running back personnel right after that big play when they had a sliver of momentum on their sideline and immediately DJ Dallas threw it away. And I'm not blaming the player necessarily on that. The play call was not a good one in the rain, asking a backup running back to throw the ball in the red zone. It just simply did not work out. Work out, And it was predictable that the outcome was going to end up being the way that it was. So they couldn't take advantage. But Lockett certainly had a great game, showed off his route running savvy, was getting open consistently. One play that Geno Smith tried to squeeze it into him and it led to an interception. That wasn't his fault. He ran a good route and he was somewhat open there, but the throw was a little behind him. Nonetheless, Lockett was the one guy on offense, it felt like, from the start of the game to the end. The muffed punt that he had really wasn't his fault. Yes, he should catch the football, but his teammate Xavier Crawford was pushed into him as he was trying to corral the fair catch. Sometimes, again, it's just not your day, and that's what it ended up being for the Seahawks. But I thought Tyler Lockett was the one real bright spot on offense, had a really nice game, and the connection with Geno Smith is developing there. Last year, Smith and Metcalf were the two that had the most success seeing Lockett go out and have a 100-plus yard performance against a really good 49ers defense, that is something to be encouraged about when there really isn't anything else positive going on on the offensive side of the football. Now, as far as surprises go, the 49ers racked up almost 200 rushing yards. That didn't necessarily surprise me with the way this game started. The Seahawks have had trouble all season so far with their run fits and missed tackles. And when you play a well-oiled running game like Kyle Shanahan has with the 49ers, you are going to give up a lot of yardage if you don't fix those areas quickly. I was encouraged by what I saw in the second half, though. The Seahawks were able to force the 49ers into a couple of punts. They had a blocked field goal by Tariq Woolen. They ended up thwarting a scoring drive. So the 49ers' first three drives in the second half, they scored zero points. And I thought that the run defense was a little bit better. They still had some issues with missed tackles. There were some penalties that came up that extended drives that should have been over quicker. And so certainly they shot themselves in the foot just like the offense did. But in particular, I thought that Boye Mafe had a really nice breakout performance in the second half. And they certainly needed him to come through because Daryl Taylor has struggled these first two games, particularly defending the run. He had a missed tackle on Debo Samuel at the line of scrimmage that turned what should have been a minimal gain into a 51-yard run in the first half. He left a couple of other tackles in the field. He missed some tackles in week one. Seattle needs reliability at that outside linebacker position, setting the edge. And Mafe is coming into the league out of Minnesota, not viewed as a strength run defender. He's mostly been a situational pass rusher at Minnesota. That's how the Seahawks were planning to use him. And yet he came into the game, got more snaps in the second half, 
And I was extremely impressed by the way that he played. There was one run play in particular where he had a pulling guard coming across the line of scrimmage. He squared him up, used his hands really well, shed the block, and then devoured Jeff Wilson Jr. in the backfield for a two-yard loss. He also was the only player on the Seahawks that was credited with a sack. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo was moving up in the pocket, and it looked like it might have been at the line of scrimmage, but they ruled it a loss, which counts as a sack. So, Boy, Mafe had a tackle for loss. He got his first NFL sack to go along with it on a day where Uchenna Nuosu even left some tackles on the field. Daryl Taylor continued to be a relative non-factor for Seattle. They got really good contributions from Boy Mafe in the second half. And if Pete Carroll wants to shake things up a little bit with them struggling, struggling as much as they are right now defending the run, might have been the chance for Boye Mafe now to earn a bunch more snaps moving forward in week three against the Atlanta Falcons. Maybe he's going to play more early downs than what the Seahawks were anticipating at this point. I don't know if that's good or bad news because that certainly is not good when you're looking at Daryl Taylor, who you were expecting to be a difference maker this year, and he has not been in these first two games. But maybe that's the wake-up call that he needs if Boye Mafe starts pushing him for reps at outside linebacker because he's playing the run better and we know the athleticism, the upside he's got as a pass rusher, see what he's got. But I thought he was a real nice bright spot for the Seahawks on defense in the second half with a tackle for loss, a sack, was playing with the high motor you expect and better technique against the run than I was anticipating. So if they can get that more consistently from him, he is going to start eating into those snaps for Daryl Taylor if Taylor does not step his game up. It's that simple. So I thought he, on a day where a lot of the defense really struggled, I thought Boye Mafe was one of the few bright spots. So he gets the game ball on defense. And on special teams, this one is really easy for me. Tariq Woolen with the highlight play of the game for the Seattle Seahawks at six foot four with 33 and a half inch arms and 426 speed. As Pete Carroll mentioned after the game yesterday, Woolen is the ideal player to have rushing off the edge against field goal units because with his burst, his ability to get into the backfield down the line, he's one of the few guys out there that is a legitimate threat to always get his hands on the football, those long arms factoring in as well. He blocks Robbie Gold's kick. It was a short field goal. I believe it was like a 20, 22-yard field goal variety, a very short one, but he rocketed down the line, got his hands on it, blocked it, and then Mike Jackson scoops and scores, runs 85 yards, outruns the punter, and then he's gone. Jackson certainly could have been considered here, but that doesn't happen without the actual block taking place, and Woolen has been close a couple times in practice as well as the preseason so it felt like it was one of those situations where it was only a matter of time till the rookie was going to make his presence felt on special teams sure enough he did and that touchdown made it 20 to 7 with under five minutes to play in the third quarter it still felt like the window was open for the Seahawks to maybe get back into this game they were only down two scores but with the way the offense was playing yesterday, it just wasn't the cards. 13 points felt like 50 with the way the offense was moving the ball or not moving the football through the air or on the ground. So certainly a highlight play, a signature blocked kick returned by Mike Jackson as well. Jackson has been in the right place at the right time the last two weeks, two fumble recoveries, and also has that returned blocked field goal for a touchdown. So he's been all over the place in that regard. But Wolin was the one that made the magic happen by getting into the backfield and blocking that kick. Kudos to him. Hopefully it's the first of many. Pete Carroll was hitting that yesterday with his size, his length, his speed. 
again, he's the ideal player to rush off the edge against kicks. And it really puts a lot of pressure on that unit, your long snapper, your holder, and your kicker to try to get that down and get that kick off so that you don't give him time to get his hands on the football. That really does create issues. And Seattle hasn't had an athlete like this in quite some time that can rush off the edge and be a real threat to block field goals as we saw Woolen do yesterday. So again, kudos to him. Continues to put things together early in his NFL career. Had a few mess-ups yesterday. Whole secondary was littered with them, but continues to be much more positive from Tariq Woolen than negative, and that's really good news for a fifth-round pick that's starting right away in the NFL for the Seahawks. We're going to get to our weekly three up, three down next. When you lose by 20 points and you only score seven and it all came on special teams, there's not a lot of studs to cover, but we're going to look at our studs and duds, three up, three down after week two coming up next. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget or just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch the boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks post-game edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, to the 12s for taking the time to make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out with your second listen, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show, Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks dropping to one and one yesterday, a disappointing 27 to seven loss to the 49ers, a game that never really felt that close. It seemed like San Francisco dominated in the trenches, dominated the secondary, really in all phases dominated this football game from the opening kickoff till the final kneel down really a struggle in all phases for the Seahawks and when there's games like that it's difficult to look at the bright side but there still were a few players for the Seahawks that put together some solid football games I just handed out game balls you know look at three other players here that I would classify as studs for the Seahawks and in this game that term maybe isn't being used quite accurately. I'm being more loose in my interpretation with it because there were not very many positives in this game. But looking at three up, three down perspective, let's start at the receiver position. DK Metcalf, only four catches for 35 yards. So why is he on this list? Because he had a 50-plus yard catch that was taken away from him on a double pass play where he leaped up and showed the strength at the catch point that the Seahawks have been looking for consistently from the big-bodied athletic Metcalf, and he reeled that pass in. It looked like that might be one of those momentum-changing plays, and unfortunately, Abraham Lucas was flagged for being an eligible man downfield, so that wiped out the biggest pass play of the day for the Seahawks, a trick play that actually was executed well, other than that illegal lineman downfield, and DK Metcalf, I thought, looked much better than he did in the first game, Wished that Geno Smith would have had more chances to get the football to him, but he brought in most of his targets, caught four of the six 
targets that were thrown his direction. I thought he did a good job hanging on to the football after the catch, too, after that big fumble last week. So overall, it was a positive step forward for him, even if the stats weren't necessarily there. That fantastic leaping catch, even if it doesn't count, that is something that is in the memory bank here. He's doing what he can with what he's been given, which hasn't been much with him constantly getting doubled. Meanwhile, I'm gonna this one's gonna surprise people because Ken Walker the third had under 20 yards of total offense in this game. So why am I listing him as a positive with only a handful of touches? Because not all yards are created equal, and there were several runs in this game for Ken Walker where it looked like he was going to be dead to right in the backfield, and yet you could see the burst. You could see the explosiveness, the athletic ability, the tackle-breaking ability. It was all on display. Just didn't get a lot of yardage because he was just trying to turn nothing into something, and he did that several times. His first run went for a first down. That first play in 40 personnel, he picked up five yards. It looked like the 49ers had that immediately snuffed out, and yet he was able to make a defender miss, rocket to the outside, and then juked another defender out. Suddenly he's got a five-yard gain on a play that looked like it was going to be a two-yard loss. So even though the stats aren't there, the film shows why the Seahawks are excited about Ken Walker the third. They've just got to give support for their running backs. The offensive line's not doing the job up front. They're not opening up seams for their backs to work with. And the Seahawks are not sustaining drives enough to get the carry totals they're looking for for the running backs. There's no way Pete Carroll can be happy about that. In the first two games, they just have not been able to establish their running game and really consistently extend drives so that they can keep running the football and wear down the other team. That's what the 49ers were able to do yesterday. So Ken Walker III's numbers are not impressive yesterday. But if you watch the yards he did create with his limited opportunities, I thought that you saw a lot of those physical tools that the Seahawks are fired up about and what he could be for this offense if there's some support there, if they're able to get some passing game downfield to complement that run game. There's a lot of different things that need to be cleaned up on offense, but you can see the talent from Ken Walker III, which is why he makes this list. Now, on the defensive side of the football Al Woods has been one consistent bright spot for the Seahawks the last two years when really they haven't won a lot of football games. And Big Al continues to get the job done in the trenches. And it's it's hard to mention a defensive lineman as a plus for the Seahawks right now in the interior because the first two games, they've been absolutely ransacked with the run game. They've been blown up. There's been huge creases. The gap fits have not been there. Several of their linemen are getting blown off the ball. Their linebackers are not getting off of blocks. They're missing tackles. So it's been really challenging to give many compliments to that group up front. And yet Al Woods has been the one player that has continued to play at a high level. He had one play in yesterday's game where the 49ers didn't even attempt to block him, which that seems like a really bad idea to let a 335, 340-pound freight train just barrel into the backfield. And of course, gets a four-yard tackle for loss on that play. He finished the afternoon with three tackles for loss. He also had a pass deflection at the line of scrimmage. So he's getting involved in the passing game when he can as well. Not a guy that's going to get a bunch of sacks or quarterback hits, but he certainly can be a factor collapsing the pocket, getting his big paws up, squatting the football down. He had three of those last year, a career high. So he continues. He's like fine wine. He continues to get better as he ages. And so I think you have to give him credit while also admitting that the rest of the interior defensive line 
compared to expectations going into the season, has been pretty darn disappointing. Al Woods has been the exception to that. He's continuing to play at a high level. The rest of the group around him needs to elevate their game. But big number 99, proving he's worth the money the Seahawks paid him on a new two-year contract at 35, continues to play at a very high level. Now on the flip side, I, I had a hard time finding positives on three up as far as finding three highlighted players that played well in this game among players that didn't get game balls. On the opposite end of the spectrum, three down, there were a few players that probably should be thanking their lucky stars they didn't end up in here because a lot of different names could have ended up on here. And I'm going to be picking on that 2020 draft class that I have been touting this offseason, believing that players like Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor were heading towards being stars going into their third season. So far, that has not been the case. I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball with that commentary. Jordan Brooks has racked up a lot of tackles the last two weeks, but it doesn't feel like last year where he had 184 tackles, a franchise record. It seems like he's making a lot of tackles several yards downfield. He's not making the impact plays near the line of scrimmage that we saw last year. Quite frankly, he does not look comfortable to me right now in this 3-4 defense, and he's not going to say that publicly. He's not going to say that in press conferences. But he just he isn't playing with the decisiveness and the aggressiveness that you expect to see from number 56. And that is allowing linemen to get up to the second level and get locked on him. There were several plays yesterday where he had linemen flying up to the second level on him. You could say maybe the defensive line's got to do a better job of making sure that those guys don't get to the second level. But Jordan Brooks also has to be able to be alert read his keys, and avoid those blockers and shed blocks. I have not seen him doing that. He's also missing more tackles than you would anticipate. There's been several times where he's had his hands wrapped up on ball carriers and then they've slid out of his grasp. Normally, if he gets his hands on you, he finishes. So I don't know if he's playing with less confidence right now because he's trying to acclimate to the scheme or what's going on. But the numbers are misleading with Jordan Brooks. He's making a lot of tackles but it doesn't feel like he's making the impact plays so far. The Seahawks absolutely need more from their new their new star linebacker in the middle that's taken the reins from Bobby Wagner. He's got to play at a higher level than this, and the rest of the defense is following his lead. So if he's struggling, it's going to be tougher for the rest of the team to pick up their games. 56, Jordan Brooks needs to play better than what they've gotten these first two games, particularly yesterday. Meanwhile, that second-round pick that was selected right behind him in that 2020 draft, Daryl Taylor, has been maybe the most disappointing player for the Seahawks in these first two games because he was lights out in training camp. This is a guy that was consistently making plays in the backfield. He was a game record rushing off the edge. That has not really transitioned at all to these regular season games so far, though. And there have been a few flashy plays. He had two tackles for loss in yesterday's game. There was one of them where he clearly cheated gaps, and it was something that he might have gotten away with there, but there was a couple other times he tried to do that yesterday that the run ended up bouncing outside of him, and it went for a big game. Those type of risks, that freelancing is not going to cut it. And he hasn't really been the impact player rushing the passer that I thought he was going to be either. He had a very quiet day yesterday rushing off the edge. It didn't surprise me that in the second half, given how poorly his his tackling, his run defense has been going these first two weeks, 
how up and down his pass rushing has been. The Seahawks were looking for a spark, so of course they're going to let Boye Mafe get some reps. I thought Daryl Johnson played fairly well with a handful of snaps that he had playing outside linebacker. Those two stepped in, and they were more consistent. That's really the big issue here. You're seeing some splashy plays from Daryl Taylor, but then he's turning around and missing a tackle in Debo Samuel where he put himself in great position to make a stop of the line of scrimmage, but he can't finish the play. And then 51 yards later, Debo Samuel is in the red zone. You can't miss tackles like that, and yet he continues to do it, and he just hasn't been consistent rushing the passer either. They need 52 to play to his potential, to his talent level, that he showed during training camp and showed at times last year that has not been on the field. And he's playing in a scheme that really fits his skill set well. And yet he seems like he's out of place right now. Far too often he's in the wrong place and teams are capitalizing on that. The Broncos did 49ers certainly did yesterday. He is not doing a good enough job setting the edge and he is not making the impact hunting quarterbacks that the Seahawks were counting on from him going to this season. So they need better. Last but not least on the offensive line, Gabe Jackson is a player that I've made some certain comments about on this show in the past. I argued that Phil Haynes should have been competing against him for the right guard position going into this season, not just as a friendly gesture, a legitimate competition, because Gabe Jackson was okay last year. But he wasn't great. He certainly did not play like a guy that should be one of your three highest paid players. And yet that's what Gabe Jackson is. I thought yesterday was the worst game that he has had in a Seahawks uniform. It felt like every time that there was quick pressure on Geno Smith or that Rashad Penny or Ken Walker III was getting blown up in the backfield, almost every time you saw Gabe Jackson turn facing towards them because he had been beaten at the line of scrimmage. It it was really difficult to watch because this is a player who for almost a decade with the Raiders was one of the best pass protecting guards in the NFL. And he was a solid run blocker, especially when he played in a man system where he was able to fire out of his stance and really bully people, but he's not getting the job done in either facet right now. He's not protecting well gave up a number of pressures in that game. This is a really good 49ers defensive line. So you expect he's going to lose some battles, but he was getting whipped yesterday. There's no other way to say it. And the run game, one of the big reasons they can't get anything going, they're not getting pushed from their interior offensive line at all. The injury to Damian Lewis had to exit again with a thigh injury yesterday. He just can't stay healthy right now. That certainly hurts things. Phil Haynes has not played quite as well as I thought he would filling in for him at left guard, but The biggest problem has been in terms of expectations to actual performance. Gabe Jackson has not come close with the contract the Seahawks gave him last year. He's supposed to be a top five, top 10 guard. And right now he's not even playing at replacement level. He has been atrocious in the first two games. They need more from 66. And the problem is I don't know how much better he's going to get because it seems like this might be a player that now a couple years into his 30s, this might be a player whose game is declining at a rapid rate. It's going to be very difficult for him to rediscover his form. And we see offensive linemen do this in the league. Sometimes there are guys that have a rough year or two, and then they're able to rediscover it. But the Seahawks absolutely need him to do that. And they didn't have Jake Curhan available yesterday. He was deactivated. Damian Lewis is banged up. They didn't have any other options to throw in at guard to begin with, so they had to keep throwing him out there. But he's just not playing well right now, plain and simple. 
And that is a big problem for the Seahawks. If they want to get back to running the football at a high level to fuel this offense and they want to protect Geno Smith, Gabe Jackson is not really factoring in in either one of those areas right now. He isn't getting the job done as a run blocker, and he's certainly not getting the job done in pass protection. So he's got to step up or they got to figure out somebody to step in for him because the play yesterday was simply not acceptable at the right guard position. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're streaming on YouTube five days a week as well. Coming up later on our second Monday episode, Rob Rang and I are going to dish out our Monday musings, some more in-depth takeaways on offense, defense, and special teams as we continue to break down a disappointing performance for the Seahawks in a 27-7 loss to the 49ers. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.